Hey, good morning, Gretna, or good afternoon, or good evening, whenever it is you're watching this. My question to start this week is this. Have you ever crashed a party? You know what that is? That's when you, you try to sneak into a party and kind of blend into a party that's not yours. <laughs> that maybe you don't really know whose birthday this is, but you show up anyways and try to pretend like you know. I think that's something you do out of out of boredom, I would guess, because I've never crashed a party. I go to parties because I, I know the people who are there, right? And I want to celebrate with them. But th- apparently it's a thing. It's a thing that people do where they kind of try to, to show up. In fact, I was looking on the internet about it. There's actually a, a wiki how on how to do this, on how to crash a party. 14 steps for crashing a party, right? You get ready, you prepare, you make sure you're going, what kind of event you're going to, you dress appropriately for it. It even says to bring something with you because if you do, nobody's going to turn away somebody who brings a gift to a party, And then once you get there, you kind of pretend like you're supposed to be there. You project confidence and you start up conversations. And and, and maybe when you show up, you show up at a time when it's the middle of the party. It's a peak, right? So everything else is so busy, nobody's going to notice you kind of blending in with everyone else. And then once you get there, you do things to act like you should be there. Right. And to not draw attention to yourself, you you use good manners, you don't get sloppy drunk, which I think is just good advice in general in life. But, you know, when you're intoxicated, you do stupid things. Right. Maybe maybe you make some friends and get to know people and and, you know, tell the host how great this party is. But. I got to understand, like I said, I don't understand that I. I think you go to a party for the relationships you already have or you go to a party to celebrate with somebody else. But apparently that's not always the case. I say all that to say to say this. We are in uh, the second and last part of our, our mini-series here called Thanks and Giving. Last week we looked at, at gratitude. We, we looked at gratitude and, and cultivating this sense of recognizing just how good we've got it sometimes, right? Because we, we have a tendency to lose sight of that. Remembering how blessed we are. Remembering that even in, in the, the darkness of the world around us and the challenges we try to deal with, that we, we have a Lord and a Savior who delivers us from all of that, who can give us joy where there is no joy anywhere else. And in cultivating that sense of gratitude, we are strengthened to, to be the people he's calling us to be. Well, this week, uh, we're going to talk about the second part. We talked about the thanks, that's the gratitude. But now we're going to talk about the giving and, and the generosity involved with, with giving. And, and giving, I want, to try to, I want to try to help us understand better what that means. Because generally, if I say, let's talk about giving, we, talk, we think, oh, well, money. We're talking about money. You're giving money to a cause or money to a person who needs it or sometimes money to a church, right? And as followers of Christ, I think if you are a follower of Jesus, there's this thing in our world called tithing where we, we contribute part of our income back to the things of God, uh, not because he needs our money, but because uh, we need him, <laughs> And because we are grateful for what he is doing for us, continuing to do for us 
in our lives. It's it's uh, I think it's true that you 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 do put your money where your heart is. I think that's a recognition. God just understands that about human nature. You invest where he's where it's important to you, and by investing a little bit in what God is doing, we're doing a little bit to demonstrate that we are investing in him. But as we continue, but the generosity giving is, is, is more than that. Giving is, is, in this case, recognizing that, that Jesus Christ gave himself, his life. He didn't give us money, right? But he, he paid, paid for our debts by the giving of his life, by the giving of his heart, by giving of all of who he is so that we could be covered for our sins. And so in that sense, understanding giving mean, it means understanding that it is not just a matter of money. It is a, a global, all-encompassing piece of who we are. It's about giving of ourselves for the sake of the gospel. And as we're, we're doing that today, we're going to go, we're going to meet a party crasher. Hence the beginning, right? We're going to meet a party crasher. Um, although this party crasher uh, isn't really trying to blend in. In fact, she's caught. And, and the truth is, I don't think she cares. So let's jump in with this as we look at what it means to really give of ourselves through the eyes of a party crasher. We're going to go to Luke chapter 7. We're going to re- read verses 36 through 50 today. We're going to do it in parts. So if you're ready, Luke chapter 7 Verse 36, I'm reading out of the Christian Standard Bible. It says this, Then one of the Pharisees invited him, that's Jesus, to eat with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume, which, by the way, is worth a whole lot. And she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears. She, she wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with perfume. How's that for a dinner party, right? You're invited over to somebody's party, and all of a sudden somebody comes bursting in, and they fall at someone's feet, and they're weeping, and they break open this jar of alabaster, this expensive jar of perfume, and put it on his feet, and they pull down their hair and, and wipe up the mess. And can you just imagine the spectacle that's going on if this woman was trying to crash a party and do so stealthily? Fail. <laughs> didn't get it done. It didn't happen. But, but, but there's some things about this the dinner with the Pharisee that I think I want to highlight here that are both not weird and very weird. The very weird is definitely someone bursting in, crying, dropping at their feet, some have said this woman is a prostitute, but there's nothing in the text that indicates that. She is a sinner. A sinner is honestly anyone who has done or thought or said something that separates them from the will of God, which, by the way, is probably everybody who's ever existed except Jesus. Right? So she is separated from God in some way, shape, or form. And the Jewish people see her as separated from them as a result. So in their minds, her sin was bigger than theirs. Right? They had done something, she had done something so bad that she could not be seen as one of them anymore. 
But what's not weird about this is, is number one, Jesus eating with Pharisees. You know, the Pharisees would slam him for eating with sinners and eating with tax collectors. Those were the two things that they commonly put in a group together and said, why would he ever do that? But if Jesus were to not eat with a Pharisee, someone who did not inherently believe who he was, someone who he opposed on so many levels, if he refused to eat with a Pharisee, would that not make him as much of a hypocrite as they were? And so it's not weird that he would do that. It's also not weird that a random woman coming by would see what's going on. Oftentimes in, in parties like these in ancient times, they would be held obviously within the home, but homes were small then and they were very close together. And oftentimes people in a community were permitted to attend the party, but not attend the party, right? You had the invitees that were able to come inside the, in this case, the Pharisee, Simon, Simon the Pharisee, to come inside his house and, and be with them and recline at their table and eat together. But oftentimes there would be others outside, either listening to the, to the music that was being played or, or trying to hear bits and pieces of the conversation. And some were probably waiting around, honestly, for the party to be over so that they could go clean up and and take home the food that was left because they probably didn't have any of their own. This was a fairly common thing, um, really in Roman societies. And remember at this point, Jerusalem is owned, for lack of a better term, by the Romans. And so this would not have been an unusual occurrence. But again, she's not trying to play the kind of party crasher that's gonna blend in. Reverend Terry Anderson talks about it. He says, I'm not sure even she expected to react that way or, 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 or she would have brought a towel if she knew she was going to drop at Jesus's feet and weep and she was going to try to anoint his feet with, with perfume, right? To clean them and to declare them as, as special and, and set apart from, from others' feet or others' person, other persons, right? Cleaning the dirtiest part of his body. If she was going to do that with perfume, if she knew she was going to weep that much, she would have brought a towel to clean up the mess, the mess of her tears and the mess of the perfume. She was over, in his mind, she was overwhelmed by the moment. Maybe she, she panicked and she took down her hair. And I got to tell you, that's yet another way not to blend in in a party like this because the Jews of the time would have kept their hair pulled up in a bun. The women would have. They would have kept it pulled up in a bun. And the only time you would have allowed your hair to come down would have been in your own home because to do so otherwise was to demonstrate that, that you were, well, yeah, you could have been a prostitute or you could have been somebody who was of ill repute and certainly not a fine, upstanding Jewish woman. But I got to tell you, I don't think she cares. <laughs> She's in front of this man, Simon the Pharisee. He's, he's an influential, respected man that honestly could help reinstate her in Jewish society if she had made a good impression on him. And she's doing in, in front of Jesus himself, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. She's falling on her feet before him. She's weeping. She's wiping. She's just, I just, the vision is just this woman who's absolutely a bubbling mess just beside herself. Why? Why is this woman ready to make a spectacle of herself in front of all of these people? 
in front of those who could reinstate her into society and in front of Jesus himself. Why would she do that? Well, let's find out. Let's keep reading. We're going to pick up in verse 38. It says, when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, they, he said to himself, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. Remember, a sinner. Ooh. Jesus replied to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, say it, teacher. Can you, can you imagine that? Can you imagine being the host of your party? Your party's swinging. Everything's going down. And all of a sudden, this lady busts in. This incident is happening. And you're standing around going, he needs to stop this. This is ridiculous. We can't do this. And the person you're yelling at, Jesus in this case, immediately hears you and he says, what did you say? Hold up. Turn off the music. Put down your forks. Everybody breathe. <laughs> right? I got something to ask you. Calls out the host in the middle of his own party and says, I got a question for you. <laughs> At this point, if I were Simon, I'd be thinking, my social life is dead. It's over. Worst party ever, right? But Jesus continues, and here's what he asks him in verse 41. He says, a creditor has two debtors. One owed 500 denarii. A denarii, by the way, is about a day's wages. So you're talking like over a year's worth of wages. And the other owed 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. That's awesome. So which of them would love him more? And Simon answered, I suppose the one he forgave more. You have judged correctly, he told him. Turn to the woman, turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she, with her tears, has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. And then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were at the table with him began to say amongst themselves, who is this man that can even forgive sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Why would she burst in like this? Because she recognizes something several things that no one else at the party has recognized. The disciples who are walking with him, right? They've seen him perform miracles. Simon and his other guests, a teacher, they know him. They know this, this Jesus as a teacher and a healer and an influencer of our people. But in the midst of all this, she has recognized that they are in the presence of God himself. They are in the presence of this Messiah that has been prophesied about, talked about, begged for, wished for, for centuries. They've wanted this person to come, that, that they are in the presence of the source of the salvation they all desperately need, and they don't see it. They can't see what's in front of them. They can't see it clearly, even though it's right there. And even though they know some things about it, they can't see it. Did you know there's actually a term for that? 
when we, we can't identify the specifics of an object that maybe we even know the background about, but we can't see it. It's called associative visual agnosia, the inability to identify something even with apparent perception and knowledge of them. They're suffering from this visual agnosia as they look upon Christ, but she's not. They see they don't really perceive the size of the debt that they owe him. They don't understand it. They don't see it. Question for you, have you ever bounced a check? I wish I could say I wasn't speaking from experience, but <laughs> there have been times years ago where I've bounced a check. And I got to tell you, bouncing a check stinks if you've never done it. First, you get you get, you get the first time you know about it, first of all, you don't know about it right away usually, but you'll get a letter from your bank saying, hey, you overdrafted and we've charged you this overdraft fee for overdrafting. Even though they didn't take the money out, they're, over, they're charging you for trying to take more out than you should have. And then you get a letter from the company that you were trying to pay to begin with that says, hey, not only do you still owe us the funds that you should have paid us, you also owe us now for a bounce check fee. And shoot, your own bank may have charged you that too. That's been known to happen too. But you owe them for this bounced check, maybe $15, $20, it may be more by now. And then on top of that, the, the vendor you were trying to pay, the person you were trying to pay, let's say it's a credit card company, now they're going to hit you with a late fee, a $30 late fee for, for missing your deadline, for not paying on time. And, and the truth is, if it's a credit card, if you ever read the fine print of your credit cards, uh, they might just increase your interest rate by 10 times. All because they didn't pay the debt. You did, I didn't, because it's happened to me. I didn't pay the debt I was supposed to pay. I didn't have the funds there to pay it. I, I think this is something that, that we kind of, even as followers of Jesus, we kind of set aside. You know, the truth is that, that none of us really want to believe that we are as indebted to Jesus as we think as we really are. We don't want to believe that we have fallen short, that what we owe him is as large as it is. And we can justify it by looking around at others and saying, well, no, that person's done worse and this person's done worse. But the reality is we are repeatedly bouncing checks with Jesus. We are repeatedly trying to to get something to pay him back for something we will never have the funds to pay back a debt that cannot be repaid by us john describes it here he 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 talks about it when we kind of minimize that debt that debt that's created by our sins by our failings by our unwillingness to be the people of God or inability to be the people he's calling us to be. He says that this, 1 John 1, 8 through 10, it says, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. We, 
instead of recognizing that we are trying to cash a check we don't have the funds for, it's a bit like we're trying to point at the bank and go, no, the funds were there, you did the math wrong. Can I just tell you something? Jesus is God. He doesn't make math mistakes. Just saying. <laughs> it's probably us that did it. But this woman knows this. This party crasher, though, she clearly sees this. She understands the size of that debt. And unlike them, they, they don't perceive the size of the debt. They also don't perceive the need for their salvation, the need for someone to cross that bridge to pay that cost. They don't understand the sheer gravity, the sheer size of the gap between them and God, the sheer lack of dollars in their bank account. They don't see it, but she does. In, ver in our passage today in Luke 7, verses 45 and 46, he challenges them, says, if you really understood your need, really understood where you were at, you would have acted differently. Watch this. In verse 45, it says, you, me, the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, came into your house, right? You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with gratitude, with perfume, my feet with perfume. I think if you've never been a follower of Christ or you do not know who the Lord is or have not yet, if we have not yet recognized our need for that salvation, it's, it's hard, if not impossible, to have the, the gratitude we should. But for him and for what he's done and is doing. But even as followers of Christ, I think that gratitude, it can wane. It can really easily kind of fall off and wane. Maybe it's, you know, we are so self-absorbed in what our own trials and present situation is that we forget of his presence and we forget of his promises. Maybe we can be so short-sighted in, in what we're seeing, how we can see what's ahead of us that we, we don't recognize the fullness of what could be before us. And, and, and honestly... We can begin to take something this important, right? A debt that we could not pay, paid for us, for granted. But I want us to understand something. This isn't just about what Jesus has done. Salvation, that word, we love to... And we should cling to that promise that God has saved us, right? If we have made the decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have been baptized into his name, we are following him, and we have proclaimed him our Lord and Master, he has saved us. And yes, he has saved us, but there's there's some part of our walk that we that is really easy for us to forget, not because we want to, but because it's easy to. And, and that's the fact that God isn't, or hasn't just done the work, he's still doing the work. If you read 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18, he talks about the gospel, the word of the cross, salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. and says this, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. The Greek there is in the process of perishing, who are currently dying, right? They're not dead yet, they're dying. And then he goes on, he says, but it is the power of God to those who are being saved. This process 
of, of God not just having done it, not just having saved us, but continuing to save us. I, one of the movies I used to watch with my kids when we were younger was The Incredibles. Love that flick. But Mr. Incredible was, was uh, being interviewed and he's, he's talking about having to save, he's a superhero and he's having to save the world over and over and over and over again. Always, he feels like he's trying to save the world. And, and he just says to the person who's doing the interview, he just says, look, sometimes, sometimes I just say to myself, can't we just stay okay, keep this mess cleaned up for five minutes, <laughs> right? And I get this picture of God doing that with us sometimes, even as followers of Jesus Christ, where we are walking through life. Maybe we're returning to a sin we should have left behind a long time ago. Maybe we're repeating past mistakes. Maybe we're not falling at his feet. Maybe we're not being the people we need to be for our own sakes and for the sakes of those we touch. And maybe we're not even being loyal to Jesus in the way we should be. And I just have this vision of him saying, okay, Rob, we went through this a while back. Can you just keep this mess cleaned up for five minutes? Can you just not do anything dumb? For an unbeliever, this should encourage you. It should encourage you that you don't have to be perfect, like me, always forgetting to put my phone on vibrate. <laughs> you do not have to be perfect before you come to him. And the truth is, you're not going to be perfect afterwards either. And that should lighten your heart and your soul because sometimes that can feel like a mountain that isn't climbable. You can't do that. But as a believer, honestly, as a believer, it shouldn't just encourage us. It should probably challenge us. Probably challenge us to, to recognize and to, to embrace and to celebrate the fact that God is continuing to save us. We just haven't been saved, which we are. We are still being saved. He is still working. He is still transforming. He is still covering up our iniquities. He is still taking care of our mistakes. If that does not well up a sense of gratitude for what he's doing in us, I don't know what does. And Jesus says of this woman who does that, who sees that, who knows that, and who is and recognizes her need, he says there in verse 47, he says, therefore I tell you, her many sins are forgiven. That's why she loved so much. She knows what she's owed. She knows what she needs. And her gratitude for it is unwavering and unwaning. She sees what he has done and is doing in her life. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. And I pray that we will not be people that convince ourselves that we've been forgiven little. Because we haven't. And we aren't. We are forgiven continuously for a growing list. They also... Their, ag their visual, associative visual agnosia, that they, they do not perceive that the answer to everything, the answer to their sin problem, the answer to their separation of God, the coming of their Messiah, their deliverance before the Lord and the world is right in front of them. But the party crasher does. <laughs> I mean, the party crasher 
gets it. She totally understands that he is right there. There he is. He is my answer. He is the one to whom I owe everything. And even as, as well, not even that. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, it's really easy to convince yourself that you don't need that that he's not the answer, or maybe you've heard somewhere along the way or gotten the feeling along the way that you need to get yourself all figured out before you go talk to Jesus to be worthy of being in his presence. Guess what? This woman knows she's not worthy. She recognizes she ain't worthy. And guess what? She is coming anyways. And he says to her in verse 50, he says to this woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Look, it's not about being perfect before you can approach God. It's about God having approached you and I, even though we are not perfect, even though that we have fallen short of him. In fact, in Romans 5, verses, verse 8, it says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And yet, that's, sorry, that's Romans 3.23. In Romans 5.8, it says, while we were still sinners. While we were still sinners. So you didn't have to get perfect first. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross so that we could be saved from those sins. You didn't have to get, they didn't have to get it figured out first and you don't have to get it figured out first. And can I just tell you, we can't figure it out without him. We can't. But as, as believers, I think we still suffer from the same thing. I think we try to pretend like, okay, I'll get involved with God when I get this sin out of my life or I'll get involved with God when uh, I'm able to make time in my schedule or I'll get involved with God when I'm not mad at him anymore. Or I'll get involved with God when this time of sorrow passes or, or when my self-esteem gets better and I stop repeating my mistakes. Can I just tell you, Jesus is at the party. If you've chosen to stand outside the party, unlike Simon the Pharisee, Jesus is gonna say to you, Come on in. Come on in. And I will save you your faith. Trust that I will get you there. Yes, drop at my feet. Yes, be generous with your praise of him. Yes, and your faith will save you. Go in peace. You know, I pray that we will be people of such faith that we will be grateful for what God has given us, that we will be grateful for what he is still doing with us, and that we will be generous. We will be generous in giving of ourselves, generous with our praise of him, generous with our love of sinners, of which we are the worst, generous with our commitment to following him and genuineness and our compassion for those who are in need of a savior because that is us too. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you. May he grant you favor and give you peace.